All right, if you got your Bibles this morning, take them, open them up to Romans, Romans chapter 5. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about death. And this is uh, part one of a two-part message. Uh, next week, uh, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to get the good news. Next week on, uh, on Easter, we're going to talk about life. And I think all of us can agree that the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection, uh, that's good news. But it's good news because of the bad news. Uh, all of us, all of us have faced death in some way. We've had friends and family members who've, who've faced that, and you know, unfortunately, all of us will face it personally. I would say that death is all of our biggest fear. I've heard, I've heard said before that uh, public speaking is uh, many folks' biggest fear, but the way that I overcome the fear of public speaking is I tell myself, well, they're not going to kill me. So I would say fear, uh, the fear of death is uh, our biggest fear, what we face. And I'm thankful uh, for the Bible. I'm thankful for God's Word that gives us some answers to some of the most important questions that we have. The Bible tells us about death and has good news actually about it. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, talking about Jesus who had come to deliver us, said through through the fear, though the fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You know, that's a fear that we all have, and a fear that could put us in bondage and hold us back from a lot. But what is, what is the power of death? Or where does death come from? Where did it come from? In Romans chapter 5, you have your Bibles open there in verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. The Bible simply tells us in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages or the payment for sin is death. But it says this, it doesn't just leave us with the bad news that the payment for sin or the wages for sin is death. It gives us the good news. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the gift of eternal life. But today... He tells us that this sin came from this disobedience, from sin. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You know, I don't think it would take a whole lot of convincing this morning for me to prove that all of us are sinners. That we've all sinned. But he says here in this verse that there's a possibility, there's a way that we can all be made righteous. Righteous before God. Now that is good news. 
He says in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You know, the law came to prove that things were wrong, proved that, that there's things that we shouldn't do, things that would harm us, uh, the law of Moses. He said, but where sin abounded, and by the way, it doesn't take long looking at the news today and looking at what's going on around the world today to see that sin abounds. It doesn't take uh, long to find out that evil is at work. But the good news is where sin abounded, he says this, grace did much more abound. That's good news. That no matter how deep or how great the sin is, the grace of God is much more, much more able to deliver us. He says in verse 21, And that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do we sing these songs on Sunday morning to worship the name of Jesus Christ? Because it's through Jesus Christ that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can be made righteous, that we can know for sure that we have eternal life. That's good news. You know, God didn't create us for death. He didn't create us Honestly, with death in mind, the Bible tells us that, that He created us uh, in a perfect place, in a perfect environment, in the Garden of Eden, a wonderful place where God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and they had fellowship together. Sin came, uh, death came as a result of sin. Death came as a result of sin. God warned us. God warned Adam and Eve. Hey, there's things that you shouldn't do because it would hurt you. Because it's going to harm us. And He gave us this uh, ability to make a choice whether we're going to follow God or follow ourselves or follow temptation. And in Genesis chapter 3, if you want to turn there, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. While you're turning to Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God made it clear to him that there was some uh, things that would harm them, and if they did it, it would hurt them. It would destroy them. It would destroy their home. It would destroy their, their family. And in Genesis chapter 3, you turn there in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You know, anytime, uh, anytime someone comes along and begins to question the Word of God, I would say that uh, there should be some... Uh, Danger flags go up. He began to say, Yea, hath God said, putting doubt in our mind on what the Scripture said and what God has said. And he said in verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of all the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the knowledge of, uh, 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 in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Now we see why Christ said about Satan that he was the the father of lies. Because he began with these lies 
and begin to tempt Eve and begin to tempt Adam with these uh, temptations that would cause their own destruction, would cause their own death. It would cause them to be separated with the fellowship with God. The pain that Adam and Eve must have felt as their first two sons, the one became a martyr and killed the other. You can only imagine that they said, oh wow, there is a great price for sin. There is a great price for this sin that came into the world. Verse 21 of chapter 3, he says this, And unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. You see, after the fall, after the fall of man, after the fall of Adam and Eve and the first sin, God institutes this doctrine here in in Genesis chapter 3 that follows the whole way through the Bible, the rest of the way through. And this doctrine that He proposes or brings out or introduces here is a a substitutionary death, a bloodshed for sin. You know, this doctrine of atonement, uh, a substitutionary death, you know what atonement is? It's, it's, it's a reconciliation after a, a controversy. And so since the very beginning, God has made a way for, for us, for mankind to be reconciled back to God. See, our, our sin separates us from a holy God, but God's made it possible for us to be brought back into fellowship with God. And that's what He wants. I mean, that's what we were created for in the first place. If, if you think that, uh, that we were created for some sort of religious rituals, we weren't. We were created for a relationship with God. And He wants to have that with us. And so uh, He has made it possible for us to be, uh, uh, find atonement, to find uh, a reconciliation back to God. And it comes through this bloodshed. He says in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. See, sin comes with a high payment. The payment is death. We already established that. And, and, and the way that is brought about is through this bloodshed. As God began to uh, uh, establish the nation of Israel, we see that He set up a whole priesthood, a Levitical priesthood. And, and, and he, he talked about how the, the nation of Israel was going to find atonement as these, uh, the folks would bring sacrifices, whether it be lambs or bullocks, and, and they would bring them to the priest, and, and that person would lay his hand on that, sh- that lamb's head. The Bible says in Leviticus, and, and the blood would be spilt on the altar there. And that would make atonement for those folks. And it was a, it, honestly, the Old Testament for, for 1,500 years was, was very bloody. It was, it was a constant. There was a, a whole tribe, one of all 12 tribes, that was, their, that was their job, is to continually keep these sacrifices going for the atonement of man. There's a story uh, we know in Exodus, where God has made a decision that He wants to bring His people out of bondage and out of slavery from Egypt. And so He sends His servant Moses to Pharaoh and says that God wants 
these people to go. He wants them to be delivered from the slavery and bondage and able to go back to the promised land. Now Pharaoh, he was not one that was uh, used to having people tell him what to do. Uh, he himself was thought to be a god. And so in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2, Pharaoh said, he said this to Moses when Moses told him that he was, uh, his people were to be let go. He said this, Who is the Lord? Pharaoh said to Moses, That I should obey Him to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So when God tells Pharaoh to let him go, he said, I don't know who the Lord is. And who is He to tell me? And by the way, the answer is no. I will not listen to this God. And so, in the grace and mercy of God, by the way, God is merciful and gracious with us and with everyone. He says, uh, all right, Pharaoh, you don't know who I am. And you don't want to let the people go. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, Tomorrow I'm going to send a bunch of flies into your land, and you're going to know that I'm God. And the next day, a bunch of flies come into the land. And then, you know the story, he keeps doing these miracles. The frogs come in, and the, and the locust comes in. And, then he, and, and Moses would go and say, God said he's going to do this. And then the next day, God would do it. And, by, and after a while, you would have thought Pharaoh would have caught on. He thought, well, you know what? He is God. He says, we're going to have darkness over all of Egypt. And that happened. Then he said, I'm going to turn the water to blood. And that happened. Some of these things, though, Pharaoh, his magicians were able to do also. And so they begin to harden Pharaoh's heart toward God. And he would not, would not obey. So it comes down to this last one as God continues to kind of ratchet it up, ratchet it up to try and show Pharaoh that he is God. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, God tells the nation of Israel, He says, uh, Your lamb shall be without blemish. That's an important distinction there. And he says, A male of the first year you shall take it out of the sheep and from the goats. And you shall keep it on the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood of this lamb and strike it on the side posts and on the header. The Bible says... uh, and, and they're to keep this Passover. In verse 12, he says, And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both of men and of beasts, and against all the gods, small g, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. God says, I'm going to show, show who I am. I am the Lord. And he says this to Israel, And the blood shall be for you a token, upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. You wonder where this feast that Israel began to keep uh, for 1,500 years, and they still keep it. By the way, Passover is about to start in in the Jewish community, and it's a seven-day feast. Uh, They've been keeping it since this time. And it's Passover. It's a time when the blood was put out so that that, that God would pass over them. And Israel kept this as a memorial. God told them, after you leave Egypt, by the way, after this last one, Pharaoh said, get out of here. 
I know who your God is now. And he says, uh, uh, after, after this, he says, I want you guys to keep this as a memorial. For 1,500 years, they every year for seven days would keep this Passover all the way until the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. He was born just like the prophets said he would be born. He was born in the very place on the very day that the prophets said he would be born. That gives me a lot of faith in the scripture. Amen. He lived, as we all know, a perfect and sinless life. He proved himself to be the Son of God by all the miracles that he did. And we know as the story picks up in and, and John and all the Gospels that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because of Christ's miracles and because of the crowd, really, that Christ began to gather together, that they delivered him up, the Bible says, that they delivered him up to Pilate to be crucified. And the Bible says they did it for envy. They envied Christ. See, they had all the religion, but they didn't have the power. The power comes through Christ. Open your Bibles to John chapter 19. These things all tie together here in just a moment. John chapter 19. The Bible says in verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Can you imagine this? The creator of the universe. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that he created all things. And he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. The creator of the universe standing there as they take this, the crown of thorns and beat it into his head and as they punch his face and they begin to scourge him with that cat of nine tails and torture him. Verse 4, the Bible says, Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, the scribes and Pharisees, Behold, I bring him forth to you that, he, that you may know that, and this is important, I find no fault in him. Remember back in, in Leviticus and back in Exodus where it says that they're to bring a lamb of the first year without spot, without blemish. I think it's interesting that Jesus Christ was examined by Pilate and by Herod. And after the examination they say, I find no fault in him. He's without spot and he's without blemish. Jesus Christ. In verse 5, and, and they came... And then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns. Can you imagine that? That crown of thorns that was beat into his head. You know where, crown, you know where thorns came from? The Bible says after the fall of man, after sin entered into the world, that now there was going to be thorns and thistles. The creator of the universe was wearing a crown that was brought on by the curse of man, by sin. This was not his fault, not his doing. And he wore that crown for us, for you, for me. He came there with the crown of thorns on his head and the chief priests. Can you imagine this verse 6? Therefore, and the officers said, and they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Verse 14, 
And it was the preparation of the Passover. About the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour then would be noon. Our time. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. For 2,000 years after the Jewish people said that, they were under the rule of the Gentiles. They rejected their king right there and said, we'll have no king but Caesar. And for the last 2,000 years, they've had to live with those words. We'll have no king but Caesar. He's not our king. Crucify him. Away with him. I thought it was interesting that it says that this was the preparation, verse 4, of the Passover. About the sixth hour. In Matthew chapter 27, you don't have to turn there. It says in verse 45, And from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour, from twelve o'clock to three o'clock. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, A loud Eli, Eli, what is that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man crieth for Elias. And straightway one ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let this uh, be seen if it's Elias. And if he'll come and save him. And Jesus, when he cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Jesus allowed himself to die at that point. The Bible says there that they hurried him down off of the cross because it was the preparation of the Passover. And as all the folks and all the families and all the people down there in Jerusalem began to prepare for the Passover and began to kill that lamb and spread that blood on the, on the side posts and on the head. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world was up on the Calvary. The Passover. The eternal Lamb of God. The one that for 1,500 years each Passover had been pointing to. That one day there would be a sacrifice for sin. That would take care of all sacrifices for sin. That no longer, no longer do you and I come to church and bring a lamb for our sacrifice. No longer do you and I bring a bullock for our sacrifice. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, the Lamb of God was slain for our sins. The eternal Lamb of God. He's so much better than any uh, temporary uh, bullock or any temporary thing. This was the darkest hour, I would say, in human history, but we all know that the, it's darkest before the dawn. That on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, the Son of God was going to rise and the sun would shine, defeating death and defeating sin and defeating Satan. You know, I, I, I counted a privilege and I enjoy to preach about the, the, the cross of Calvary and the cross of Christ and the resurrection. Without a doubt, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Without a doubt, it's the, it's the greatest thing that has ever happened to this world. That God came down and made atonement. He made possible for us to be reconciled to God through His bloodshed. No fear no longer in death. As we talk about death, no fear in death. The Bible says that He took the sting out of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Wow. You know what? Jesus Christ, He faced death for us and He defeated it. And if Christ is in us and we're in Christ, we have that hope of the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection. The blood of Christ. You say, do you preach the blood of Jesus Christ? I absolutely do. Because without it, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without it, it's part of the gospel. It's a great big part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I like those two words, justified, and I like the word saved. The word justified, I like to think of it as just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. Now we all know we've sinned, but can you imagine receiving the atonement from the Lamb of God by receiving the Gospel and when God looks down at us, He says, you are justified because of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You are saved from the wrath. Christ and the cross of Christ is a great, there's a great picture in the Old Testament of the ark, Noah's ark. And everyone who was in the ark was saved from the wrath of the flood. And the same is true now, that everyone that is in Christ is saved. Is saved. What a great thing. What a great thing. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption. We've been bought back through His blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 and 14. The book of Hebrews is an interesting book because uh, the writer, Paul, I believe, took a, a great deal of time to prove to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, that what we have in the New Testament is so much better than the Old Testament. They had a high priest. They had a high priest, and he says, now we have a high priest, which is Jesus Christ. They had a temple, and now we have a temple, which is our heart, where God now dwells. They had a sacrifice, a lambs and bulls, and we have a sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice. So he takes a great deal of time in the book of Hebrews and proves that the New Testament is so much better than the Old Testament. And in there, he says in Romans chapter 9, or Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkled in the unclean sanctify and purifieth the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ is so much better than the blood of bulls and goats. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ He is our Lamb. He is our atonement. He is our hope. And He is the hope of the whole world. We have a a Lamb. We have an escape route from death. Oh yes, death is, is is a reality because of sin. But we, with Christ, 
We have that hope. We can be cleansed from our sin. Let me just say this. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's not a better thing to be able to know. There's not better news that could be told than the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that you've been justified. To know that you've been redeemed. To know that you've been made right with God and brought back into fellowship with Him because of Jesus Christ. Have you received this atonement? Have you received this forgiveness? If you have, then thank Him. Then rejoice. Then have that hope, that hope in Christ Jesus. This morning we're going to take a, we're going to take a communion to remember the Lord's death. It's a memorial for us. It's a memorial, a time to remember that His body was broken for us and that His blood was shed for us. It's a time to uh, reflect. The Bible says it's a time to take time to cleanse our own heart, to prepare ourselves to take the Passover. Uh, before we do the, the, the uh, excuse me, communion, before we take communion, we're going to have a time of prayer when all of us can uh, take and repent of any sin that uh, the Holy Spirit brings to our mind and, and get a clean heart before God, but if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never been saved, then, then this communion, Christ's body being broken and His blood being shed, doesn't mean as much as if it was paid for your sins. So as we take this time then to pray, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's simple. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not hard to be uh, have our sins forgiven. It's not hard to be made right with God and make atonement with God. It's the mercy and grace of God that He's given us. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 through 5. Isaiah prophesying of the Christ that was going to come to make redemption for us said about Jesus, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and esteemed not. Surely he hath borne our grief. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And this is the verse I like. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by His stripes, we are healed. 